This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Pride of West London podcast. We're back in the Prince Belusia pub in Twickenham. It's a, it's a prince amongst pubs around the Twickenham area. It's, it's a home from home for us. The, the, actually, the staff are really excited to have us here tonight. I've had, the, I've had a couple of people behind the bar said, are you the Brentford podcast? And I've gone, yeah, we are. I said, can we come in at the end? When you shout, come on, you bees, can we come in and do that? And I was going, oh, yeah, of course you can, mate. So <laughs> we, might have, we might have some extra guests towards the end, so it might be a little bit loud. So, yeah, so, so tonight, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a lot to talk about, actually. So I'm really pleased to have some friends with me tonight. I've got Edward the Hedwood Langdon. I've got Gary Paul. And I've got Robin Hood with me. Let's go around the table and say hello to you. Ed, hello, mate. How are you doing? Uh, very good, Dave. Th- nice to be back again. Uh, first one of the year after last end of season one. Uh, nice to be back with the crew again, drinking beers in the Prince Belusia. Nice little pub. Um, and lots going on. Started a new job this week. So just uh, getting back into the uh, employed life again after a little summer spell in Greece. Yes, yes, uh, the, the, the Greek posse. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't. Yeah, Yamas, I didn't see you there. I was waving, but you didn't wave back. You're, you're rude. You're rude, man. Gaz, how are you, mate? Yeah, not doing too bad, mate. Not doing too bad. I'd say quick dash over from work from Park Royal. And here I am in Twickenham, where I used to work for many a year. Leafy burbs, mate. That's where we are. And uh, Robin Hood, you're, you're always welcome on the, on the um, Besotted podcast. What have you been up to over the weekend and since, since the Stoke game? Uh, since the Stoke game, I've been glowing on a good performance. Uh, but then it's just been a long grafting week at work. So any excuse on a nice Thursday night to come and have a few beers and talk a load of football. And I'm Dave Lane here, you know me. Um, just, oh, I mean, I've, I've been to South End on Tuesday night, but what I really want to say is just well done to my son Seb, who got his A level results today, and what brilliant results he got. So well done. What did he get, Dave? Um, three B's. Good results. B's, B's, B's. B's, 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 B's. So yeah, no. <laughs> 
So, let's start with Stoke. Stoke seems quite a long time ago now, but it was a really good performance. We didn't quite get the result, I don't think, that we deserved. And Brentford really will be kicking themselves, I think, that we, we didn't get the win there. And I, and I know later on in the season, I think we're going to probably look back at that and think that was actually a pretty good result. But, you know, I think if, if we're going to move on from where we were at last year and the year before and the year before, we need to start beating teams when, we're, when we are better than them. And I think that's the cutting edge that we're still lacking a little bit. Or... We, we can be accused or fans can be a little bit concerned that we're not as ruthless as we should be perhaps we all went to Stoke so we should all have a little bit of a kind of like a, a you know a, a thought about where it is that we can improve I, th- I still think pretty much all over that pitch we were head and shoulders better than the Stoke players but what is it about Brentford that stops us being that killer those killer bees Robin, I think you've already touched on it. It was it was a performance reminiscent of the sort of the final twenty games of last season. I thought it was this dominating a team that's uh, quite big, quite um, I don't want to say organised defence, but quite stout in defence and about able to clear the ball very very quickly and um, try and overpower us, so to speak. Um, but to be honest, I think the, the the key thing for us is shooting on goal. It was a really really bad thing that last season that I think affected us quite badly was not having a go when the opportunity arose and I think particularly against Rotherham in the first game uh, and against Southend on uh, Tuesday night was it was evident that there's more of an onus on shooting when the opportunity arises and I think the players have now got that confidence but again I thought against Stoke there are occasions where we could have had a shot could have had a shot but just took that extra pass just took that extra touch Um, and I think that's what has prevented us in the past from putting teams away that we could have, should have, could have and should have beaten. Yeah, I, I do agree with a lot of that, but I will say on the flip side, at South End on Tuesday night, we were shooting a lot earlier, and the shots were just going about ten foot over the bar and wide, and so you know we had twenty five attempts on goal, but a lot of them were way wider the mark. So sometimes you know I, I, I do get that. There's always, I mean, I, it actually winds me up really when you're attacking, attacking, and all of a sudden you get 200 people in the crowd saying, shoot, you know, no, don't, 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 yeah. don't shoot, don't <laughs> shoot, because you, you're never going to get that goal. Gaz? No, I love it, especially when they're sitting there and it's go on, go on, shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot, and it ends up in building roads and it's ah, what's he shoot for what's he shoot for <laughs> it's, but it's when, it's when no, Dan Bentley's got the ball in his hand as but, well. but not being funny but you know surely it's better for them to just do what they've been doing on the training pitch all week and just like pass it wide and then go to the byline and cut it back and actually create a proper chance rather than you know what we're you know you don't you don't sort of pander to the crowd all that all that much, do you? Yeah, but two two things from that. A lot a lot of the times last season, I will probably expect it again this season that the teams we come up against because we play possession football and we bring them right to the edge of their box. Quite often we find two six foot forty two uh, defenders and we're trying to whip a ball in and they'll head it out. So we pass the ball around the edge of the box, trying to find the open gap, which can be frustrating. But at the same time, we've got the ball and we're in the position. Second point. Going back to the original question, Butland had a good game. Butland saves a lot of choices there that, you know, other games that might have gone in. So whether it's us learning how to finish teams off or actually someone having a really good game and, and keeping them out, uh, that, that will be seen in the next couple of games. Let's, let's see after the first 10. 
and the better players that we're getting now, that they are technically more gifted. So the, the you know the beautiful goal, the equalising goal we scored, we scored up at the three six five, you know. So it it was the players that we've got. It's within their comfort zone now to to play those beautiful one twos and get sort of absolute beautiful shots in like Watkins, you know. So maybe in the past the players that we've it's been expected to kind of execute the crosses, execute the shots, haven't quite been good enough. Now maybe we're maybe we're edging towards that sort of premiership standard, but we still I mean if we were as clinical as a premiership team or, or a top top team on Tuesday night, we probably would have got eight goals. We we didn't. Yeah. You know, we, we scored four. Four was enough, but we let in two. So, you know, it's still marginal at times. I think that's what I mean. Again, I think that's one thing. If you go back to the Stoke game, look at what we did to score our goal, and look at what they did. Um, if we are going to progress, we just can't afford at this level to be doing things like we did at Stoke and giving away a goal in that fashion. I think Gary's absolutely right that it was a, reminiscent, a performance reminiscent of last season where we were conceding silly goals uh, and maybe not and not scoring as much as we should have. But again, I think the players that we've got and the way we've um, developed as a team and gelled in the in the trans, in the summer and leading up to the start of the season, I think we've got the players that can uh, that have that confidence to have a go. And players like Watkins and uh, Malpe just maybe need a little bit more of a kick to say, "Don't worry about taking that extra touch. Have a go." And I just genuinely believe if we have more of a focus on that and more of an onus on shooting I think we'll rip, rip teams like that apart that that error though was a one-off I mean, yeah. that, that was a, like a major brain fart yeah. compared to you know maybe like misplacing a pass or, or knocking around the back and I, t- and, I tell you, and I tell you what that's just um, at, the, at the time I thought okay Meps what are you doing but I mean the, the error was down to the goalkeeper there Dan Bentley he's, see, he's seeing the, the, the approaching game the game coming towards him um, he's got to be telling Mepham get it out or you know shield the ball let me take it yeah um, so that's that that was Dan Bentley's fault as well okay so you've heard what we thought about the South End and the uh, Stoke game um, we'll talk about a bit more about the South End game in a minute but let's go back to the pubs and um, the Roots Hall exits um, and, and listen to what the fans thought after the games up at Stoke and at South End United <laughs> If, you, if you'd have offered the 1-1 at the start, you'd have probably taken it, but another one of those games where we were the only side trying to play football against the Rowett. Um, bossed the first half, created the chances. Bentley pretty much was a bystander, did nothing apart from pick the ball out of his own net after a calamitous mistake. Uh, picked it up second half and just did our, did our thing and got a deserved point but it should have been more I think if you look at the first 20 minutes we were, we were well in control and then really the, you know, the mistake put us on the back foot when they scored we came back into it well in the second half well I think we controlled that as well really Tom Ince got man the match I'm not really sure why I'm pretty sure Butlin should have been there man the match because well, he was the only goalkeeper tested in the whole game you were the better team you started better than us first 15 minutes you were the better team we came into the game a bit better and when you scored, you, it was only one. Well, it was then trend towards the end. It was a, it was a good, entertaining game, but it wasn't good for, for Stoke City. I don't think they weren't quick enough. I think it's an eye opener. But I thought Brentford were really good. 
I, I honestly think is you know we've got a lot of they've, they've got to wake up and wake up quick Stoke have uh, they, they, they've, they've come out of the Premier League they haven't they, they think they can you know they can run away with the league while they can't and that's uh, Brentford look a very very good club Brentford is what I want Stoke to be correct and me so your players have got the desire the will to win we're pedestrian you're not pedestrian I don't honestly think that the Stoke fans will give Gary Rowett the time that he deserves. That come Christmas, Gary Rowett might be out of a job. Because as you heard at the end of the game today, Stoke fans booing. A lot of fans think we're going to walk the league, and we're not. When you think about last season when we were dominating games, but we were coming away with nothing. So to, to go to Stoke, obviously there's a lot of expectation with Stoke this season. People think they're going to walk the league and to dominate the game and create the better of the chances. And really, I mean, we gifted them their goal and they didn't really do much else with it. So we, we were unlucky in the sense that we only came away with a point, but point's a point. I thought Brentford were by far the better side today. By far the better side. I, I, I think Stoke have got to wake up and wake up very quick because... What, what I saw today, Stoke, you know. From that, I would say Brentford would go away from there and say, I'll take a point to Stoke. However, if it wasn't for Jack Butland, we, would, we should have had three points. It should have been outside half. They were waiting to be beaten for half an hour and we played really well, but we never killed them. Um, and then a silly moment. And then the rest of the game, you know, they had 10 minutes up to half time, which they were quite good, but majority of the game we were really good uh, Morpai probably should have taken at least one of his chances um, yeah there's, there's no point playing well if you end up 1-0 down to a really soft goal and you can't give Garrett Rowett teams a 1-0 head start because he's just going to try and kill the life out of it and there's a lot of teams in that division that we know from last year they're going to boil the life out of you so you know it's all very well like you say having all that possession having 48 shots or whatever but got to be a bit more ruthless we've got to get that that about our game we are technically a better team we have better chances but we have we have to beat them if, if we are better than someone on the pitch we have to actually beat them so we yeah we, we need to learn from this and I, I honestly think we are na- nailed on playoff nailed on playoff and if we become ruthless and we finish teams off then we, we will go up the first half took quite a while to get going, to be honest. A few attempts at goal, but then we got the key one that got us going. But come the start, restart in the second half, absolutely spiced up a tree. Scoreline says it all, really. The guy has been off for a few games. It's all about seeing what his mindset is as well. He came on admittedly, first match for him. Uh, he looked a little bit slower and less sharp than usual, but let's face it, it's his first match. Good game to get him out on. Did his part today. Other really, really positives. You can hear it being sung in the background. Sai Benrama, he looked the business tonight. Absolute star, absolutely correct. Didn't he scored the, his second from the left wing and came in and cut it in with his left foot? And then the first one from the right wing. Didn't matter where he came through, the skills that he was exhibiting, he danced around some of these South End defenders. Looks absolute quality. For me, being stung with equaliser we came straight back and scored two great goals and I know they got another one but we we rallied again and got a fourth goal Um, the fact is that we had nine different players from Saturday it's almost like a reserve side so when Smith says we've actually got two players for each position you've got to say 
it's it's out there on the pitch and you can actually see it. Overall, satisfied. Not a fantastic performance, but it does show that we've got a lot of strength in depth. We probably made harder work than we should have done, but I was pleased with the uh, new players, um, especially Ben Rama, who looked really sharp. Got a very good goal, two-footed. Uh, adds more competition to the squad. Um, and John Vier was very good as well. Popped up with a goal. Woods looked like, t- like he'd never been away. Um, and it shows he's you know, at a much higher level than than that game, really, I thought. Um, as I say, Ben Rama did well. And I was really pleased to see Force get his first goal. You know, you can't really ask for any more than that, can you? So Brentford's reward for the win at Southend was, wait for it, it's a mouth-watering cup tie. Cheltenham Town at Griffin Park. A, n- a night game at Griffin Park is never, ever going to be turned down. So I will take that rather than a trip to, you know, the, the Cheltenham. Cheltenham. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's probably not the juicy one we would have hoped for. But to be saying that, the, the proper big clubs come in in, the, in, the round, in round three. So we, we do stand a pretty good chance of progressing, which is a, is a cup run by any, by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that one. The dates are yet to be announced. But but what what we did see at Southend was this this squad rotation. Eleven changes were made, and normally that means that we struggle. Um, in 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 the last five or six years, we've gone out in round one of pretty much every single season in the League Cup. We've had some embarrassing defeats at Hereford and Walsall, Oxford at home. Cheltenham as yeah uh, you know um, um, you know we've had Dagenham that have taken us to six all draws and you know we, we we've been stretched because we haven't had the strength in depth that we we should have done to play the weakened the weakened teams so on, on Tuesday night we were well we were well within our comfort zone um, even without the kind of like the the, the sort of like the starting eleven that played that played so well at Stoke. Probably the the highlight of of Tuesday night and the, and the and the thing that got the fans most excited as they as they heard the team announce was that Ryan Woods was going to start. See the Ryan Woods transfer saga. I would call it a saga because it's it's not been resolved yet. We've still got a week or ten days left of of August. Uh, the, the loan windows open. Swansea seemed to be sniffing around. So, you know, it was it was a little bit of a surprise probably to see Woodsy play ninety minutes. Um, and he, he he had a good game. He was he was he was commanding. He always wanted the ball. He was doing what Woodsy Woodsy does best. He was collecting it, passing it, taking it back, pointing a lot. He did a lot of pointing on Tuesday night. But I will say, he didn't get anywhere near the goal, and he didn't. I don't. I can't remember him getting close to scoring a goal. Where Makocho, he had three or four chances to score, um, and he did score. So you know, it's it's that it's that kind of constant argument we're always going to have with ourselves is he looks great on the ball but what you know is there someone more effective in that position is McEachern um on form more effective than Woods is 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 Makocho going to be that player too so anyway so it was brilliant to see Woodsy other 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 Performances I think are just stand out. Um, Marcus Force scored a goal on his full debut for Brentford. Um, Jean Vier again he scored. 
he looks well within his comfort zone. Southend probably weren't the test for him. Um, Tom Field looked looked pretty good. Um, there was 90 minutes there for Alan Judge as well, who grew and grew into the game. He got stuck into a couple of tackles as well, which was good to see. You know, anyone that thought, you know, since he had his leg break that he was going to be a bit shy of getting involved, that was the answer was there. You know, he got he got stuck in. Um, um, Mads Beck Sorensen, he started off okay and he, he got subbed, so Meppham had to come on. But you know, Southend never actually gave up the ghost. They were they were they were in that game pretty much until we killed them off with the fourth goal. At one stage, we honestly thought that you know, at three two, they were pushing and pushing, and it could have gone to you know, not to extra time, but it could have gone to pen. So, you know, luckily we we had enough. But we need to we do need to stop conceding these kind of goals. So. What I really want to talk about now, probably, is like, we, let's leave the South End game, but let's talk about strength in depth. We s- certainly feel like we're a stronger club and a stronger team than we were this time last year. Ed, do you agree with that? Uh, I do, uh, absolutely. And you, you missed someone on, on that on that list um, who shows the kind of strength we've added inside Ben Rahama, who had, of course, of course. Um, who from I wasn't there at Southend, but looks like had an incredible game um, and looks like a really, really, really exciting prospect. Um, obviously, as as you said, you know the, the eleven we put out could easily in each one of those positions step into the first team at any point so we're not doesn't look like we've left ourselves weak at anywhere part of this is coming on from keeping ourselves having an amazing transfer window um you know we, we lost one two or three or four players but we've we've replaced with with excellent excellent potential and, and maybe not even potential now excellent proven players from from other leagues or other places yeah, you're absolutely spot on. You know, ben Rama was kind of like a, you know, absolutely glaring omission from that list. You know, but it, you know, again, it does show you that you know, if you look, if you looked around the pitch and you looked at the names of the players that we've got, there's this kind of like really impressive performance. Oh, I was a pub quiz going on, so um, apologies if you can name any questions in the background. We'll give you a, give you a free free pint of pride unfiltered at some stage. But no, so what, what you know, what I'm trying to say is, you know, there is some real. Emerging talent coming out of this squad, isn't there, Robin? Yeah, I'm really excited by Marcus Force. Like, I can't remember the last time we produced a striker. I mean, we've still got we've got Justin Scheibe on loan, out on loan as well. But just the reputation he's come with from the B team, as well as the performances he put in in pre-season and the goal he scored against South South End, which was just a, you couldn't get a more striker's finish. Striker's finish. I'm really excited by him. And I'm really excited by some of the other young players that we've got coming in because we've invested a lot of time and a lot of effort in the B team. Um, and I'm really, really excited. Marcus Force, particularly for me. Ben Rama, to me, goes without saying, considering that his performance he's put in over the past couple of games. But Force is the one that I'm really looking forward to. Gaz? I think it also shows that the way the debutants played. Um, if you compare it to previous years when we bought guys in from what was then the youth team who have ended up, you know, we've ended up getting done 5-0 by Derby and things like that. They've been playing a lot higher level of football than our youth team used to, and it shows. So with all those really promising performances at South End, is there really a call for Dean to to change things around on, on Sunday against Sheffield Wednesday? You know, Ben Rama absolutely deserves a, deserves a start, but is he going to get one, Ed? 
I think I think you know the answer to that, Dave. It's a bit of a loaded question. We know already that Dean doesn't really change the team unless we we have a loss or there's there's a glaring thing to change. So at this point, I don't think he's going to change anything around. I think Ben Rahama will probably come on around 50, 60 minutes and, and give him a run from there. But I think the same team will run out on Sunday. So Gaz, change the team or do we do we stick or do we twist on Sunday? No, I think we stick. Um, I don't think we necessarily need to have guys playing two games in a week if they don't have to. It's a long season. We've got what, another 44 league games. We've obviously got this Cheltenham game. By the time other games have been thrown in, there's plenty of football for everybody to play. We've got, Wednesday, we've got Sheffield Wednesday on Sunday and then we've got Aston Villa on Wednesday night. So we've got a busy week coming up ahead of us. Do you think there's a call for any kind of shuffling to, to be going on or do we just see what happens on, on, on Sunday? I think there's definitely a call for shuffling. I think when you've got the strength and depth that we've got, uh, fitness has got to play into it. And when we've got the opportunity to play players that are so easily and available to slot into um, the first team, uh, we, we should take that opportunity. I think players like Judge, who's proved he's got 90 minutes in him, Woods has got 90 minutes in him, um, should be able to slot into the first team at, at the drop of a hat. But, like I said, in terms of the results business and the game that we're playing, we've beaten Rotherham at home 5-1 in the league, and we've taken a supposed premiership side to a very, very good 1-1 draw, which we should have won. So there's no call to change it entirely at the moment, but... Yeah, just keep the same team and then sub in players as and when the fitness side of things requires it. Ed, so, you know, Dean Smith, has, he, he, even he must know now that he's got a stronger squad than he did have last year. Do you think we might see a slightly different mindset from him? Because he didn't want to change, he didn't want to change a winning formula or a non-losing formula last year. But now he really has got a player, he's got two players for every position. Do you think this rotation just has to become part of his kind of selection process yeah absolutely so following on from what I said um, when we play Sheffield Sunday see what I did there uh, and Villa on Wednesday with all these Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday games I think it's likely to see some sort of rotation around those games but maybe one player or two players that will swap in and out Um, but the core of the team I think will stay the same but now as you said he's got the um, almost the tools in his armoury to um, to do that now and he will feel probably more comfortable than he did before swapping in and out so Gaz final word on on this little section here do you do you expect to see a change team between Sunday's game and, and Wednesday's game at Aston Villa yeah I would expect the change to happen there more than between the Tuesday night game and the Sunday night game um, you may want to just bring in Woods and just have a bit more stability in the middle for an away game against Villa than the home game against um, Sheffield Wednesday on the Sunday. Woods bringing Woods in. That's that's a, that's a not I wouldn't say controversial, but let, let, let's let's just see how that one pans out. Um, obviously, Swansea still sniffing around Ryan Woods, so you know let, let, let's let's just see if um, he, he wants to commit his even if his issues medium or short term uh, future to Brentford. Why would you actually want to go to Swansea City at the moment, Ed? Uh, He's got the money tag on the top of it, I guess. Uh, you know, with with their previous Premiership credentials, but I wouldn't 
wants to leave for an upcoming bouncing Brentford team are in really, really good shape at the moment with with big ambitions. Um, so if if you can find a player like Ryan Woods, who's got a good head on his shoulders and quite you know a, a very down to earth guy, I think if he can stick it out and see where we're in January, I think if we're in a strong position, I, I think maybe that move to Swansea will be less appealing than it is now. Swansea balking at. You know, what is must be a, a fairly mediocre, you know, fees six million, seven million, eight million must be sort of water off a swan's back, that kind of money. I suppose, as fans, as fans, in that, that's very good. Sorry, I've got to compose myself after that joke. Um, it was to us as biased Brentford fans, it's obviously a bargain if he goes for seven for the club that he goes to if, if it's for seven million. But again, you've got to take into account that, given his, you know, he's got probably got personal situations to think about and consider. Um, so that's going to play a part, and we don't know those. We don't have the luxury of knowing what goes on in our, in our players' personal lives that much, anyway. Guys, double your money or stay with the bees. Well, personally, I would stay with the bees, as, and I, you know, don't really particularly want to go and live in Swansea. <laughs> um, I guess my take on it is that, from Swansea's point of view. We've now got to the stage where finan- where the um, parachute payments really do not plug the hole as much as they used to a couple of years ago because the drop from, you know, the TV money's gone up so much, you can't fill that with, you know, whatever, you know, with 12 million a year or whatever it is. That's gone sort of like very quickly. So to throw another 6 million sort of like debt on, you know, throw another 6 million on that is a bit of a hit for them. But as I say, what well, you know, I don't, I don't understand why, even from an outsider's point of view, why would you go to Swansea? Because they don't look as if they're in a position to be going straight back up. They've had a couple of years of struggling and they've had to ch- virtually change their team. The Swansea team you're seeing now is not the Swansea team that were at the end of last season. The Premier League guys are gone. Yep, I think um, Woodsy, you know, for what it's worth, listen to what the fans were singing. Um, you're, you're loved at Brentford. Uh, you, 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 can, you can really become Brentford captain. You can really get to the Premiership with, Brent, with Brentford Football Club. Uh, I, I, I just really give it, give us, give us this season, and uh, I think you, you, you know, you can go in the summer with our blessing, uh, or you know, or go, go in the January transfer window. But I think it's unfinished business here, and I, I think you know you can play a part in setting this season up for, for being something very special. If you do go, good luck to you, mate. Um, you know, it's just you know you're obviously going to be a very, very good player in the future. But um, sometimes, as the Birmingham trio have found, the grass it's is not, not always greener. What a fantastic twang that was! I hope you agree. Uh, Brentford drone, new stadium drone. You must have all seen it. If you, if you haven't seen it yet, you need to look on the YouTube and, and just search Brentford Drone or look on Twitter. Uh, the drone has been following Brentford's new stadium f- from the very, well, not from the very beginning, because that would go back like 15 years. But since the, since the, since the 
Lionel Road site's been cleared properly and, start, and since the construction work has started to begin, since the ground's been broken, the drone's been there pretty much every week. Um, and whoever it is that's doing it has done a brilliant job in putting overlays on, onto, the, onto the sort of aerial footage and just showing where each stand's going to be and, you know, what, what, it's, what ex- exactly the footings are going to be, you know, being put in for. And there's actually been visual progress this week. Instead of concrete being put in, instead of pile driving being done, there's been some actual kind of erection for a, for a want of a better word, which is, isn't anything to do with any um, John Terry's mum videos that I've been watching recently. <laughs> it's all about the new stadium. So, there has been progress. Ed, you spotted the progress this week? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I spotted the progress this week. Um, I think it was the week before uh, the concrete went up for the lift shafts. Um, and then this week, there's been real obvious signs of the beginning of the south stand. Um, and it's, it's leaning slopes, uh, which, which is quite exciting, I think. I mean, it really kind of, you, it now feels like you, we're not just looking at where the, the, the map out is on the floor. We're actually looking at visual uh, and um, something physical that we, we can see is going to be our stadium. And as you say, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a proper turning point where, you know, we've been, we've been used to sort of um, artistic impressions. We've been used to sort of like, you know, um, like graphics gen and, and gen images, as you say. Now we're looking at steel. We're looking at concrete coming out of mud. You know, it is, it's, a, it's a real stadium. You know, let's, let's put a motion to one side about Griffin Park at the moment, about pro- progress. This, this, it's, it's quite significant, this in the last week, isn't it? Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, as what's happening last week to ten days now. When you're when you come over Kew Bridge, you can see the stadium rising up above the Express Tavern. So it's a bit like War of the Worlds. It's just like you got no, not like War of the Worlds at all. Okay, what 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 is it like then? Well, I don't know. I guess it's just like building a stadium, isn't it? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, I'll, okay. I'll rein myself back. Rob, this is still kind of quite an emotive issue, isn't it? it, it you know, we're, we're still talking about... We, it, it, it seems a little bit... Um, what's the word? It's not bad taste, but is, we, we're getting excited about something that's kind of betraying the place that we love. But, you know, it, it's, it's inevitable. We, we, you know, we, we, do have to, we do have to grow. We do have to move. So, is it right to get excited, or, or are we, are we, are we is, you know, this, is it a guilty kind of confusion? Um, it halves my travel journey to the ground, so I'm excited. Um, it's, it, of course, of course, it's exciting. Like moving to New York, and there's always going to be that emotive feeling behind Griffin Park, especially for someone like myself. I'm sure everyone in this room and everyone that's listening will feel that same sort of emotional attachment to Griffin Park. But in the same way that I'm, at, whenever I'm at Griffin Park watching our home games getting that sort of, oh, I'm really going to miss this. As soon as I walk back towards Kewbridge and as soon as I start thinking about the new stadium, that sort of sombre, I suppose, emotion, it's a bit of a hard, bit of a hard way of putting it, but the sombre emotion is immediately replaced by this buzz, pun intended, in excitement about this new stadium. Um, I think it's, we, we are well, well within our right to get excited about something new that's happening, something exciting, a new development at Brentford Football Club, Absolutely. It's it's a real uh, you know 
generation and, and, and seeing what's new. Robin and I live very close. That, that's our stomping grounds. Um, and so living around there, you, you're always knocking around. But it's going to do a lot for the local area as well. Um, a lot of people are moaning, for those who aren't Brentford fans, about what it's going to do to parking, things like that, rah, rah, rah. But in terms of local businesses and the pubs as well, the Express Tavern's going to have to jump itself up. That's going to be a huge pub there. The one over the eight's going to really, really take a kick. Um, that, that, that's going to be filled a lot more. The pubs along the river, um, it's, it's going to do a, a lot more for the, the local area, and I'm really excited about that. Growing into this stadium is going to be absolutely absolutely essential you know we have to increase our, um, our, our our attendances we have to we have to increase the amount of season tickets we sell we have to we have to increase the buzz that is going around our local area our part of of, of southwest london the ceo today sorry or yesterday he actually gave out a, a kind of a vision of of what Brentford's ethos is with regard to you know the community and the inclusivity and how proud the club are about their 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 place within the community. Gaz, Brentford is a probably one of the is it would you say it's like one of the most inclusive and one of the most sort of diverse crowds in in the country? Yeah, I would definitely expect so. I mean, as obviously you know. For me being black, I've been going to Brentford since like the 80s and I can remember the days when there was like one black face, there were two black faces and an Asian guy to him. And now it's there's so many more people that um, of, of all different kinds, more women, etc., that you're seeing at the games. So, I mean, what we do, we're, we're, we're going to take a twang and then we'll come back and I'm going to actually going to probably read Mark Devlin's statement because it actually spells out very clearly what the, what the club's stance is and, you know, the kind of crowd and the kind of, the kind of fans that are going to be welcome at Brentford in the future. I don't know if you've seen the Brentford official website. Um, Mark Devlin's also retweeted it on his Twitter feed. Basically, the Brentford CEO has um, issued a no-nonsense explanation of the club's stance on its core values with regard to encouraging an atmosphere of inclusivity at the Brentford Football Club. Um, as part of a broader statement, which uh, congratulates Kick It Out on its 25th anniversary, Mark Devlin spelled out the following message. Brentford is proud to represent every part of our diverse community and is one of the most inclusive and welcoming clubs in the country. I suspect there is only a tiny minority who would not share our view that, would, that we would welcome and include everyone, regardless of their race, religion, gender or sexuality. Mark Devlin, he went on to say, and this is probably the crux of the whole statement, for those that do not share these views, we will not compromise on our values. We don't want you at Brentford if you can't accept that or if you behave in a manner which is incompatible with these values. And that's pretty much what we've been hoping the club would say for quite a long time now. Would anyone really argue with anything that, that Mark Devlin said within that, within that statement, Ed? No, um, I think anybody in, in their right mind would, would agree with that statement fully. Um, I think it's great that you know, we've come out and said it and, and Devlin's kind of taken that, um, you know, steering the helm and saying this, this is where we are, but nailing our, our, our flag in the sand. But I think everybody's on, in the same boat anyway. So um, great that we've come out and said it, but 
um, kind of pass pass by here. Robin, you know, it's it's you know, it's not pretty. There's not nothing really to add to that, is there? Really? No, it's, it, he's he said he said it perfectly. Couldn't put it better myself. Um, when I was at university, I did my entire dissertation on football fandom being a tool for social inclusion. So, oh yeah, I completely concur. There's nothing else to say from mine anyway. Gaz, this is obviously an issue that's close to your heart. You know, you're, you're a black football fan. This is, you know, you've you've had to run the gauntlet in in your time as a as a bees fan, as a football fan. Are you, what what are you looking for from your football club to to make things better, improve things, or or cut out cut out the cancer sometimes? No, I just think in the end, we want everybody wants to go and enjoy the game, and you know, as. Um, Joe Rogan once said there are three types of people on this planet morons, arseholes and people that are cool to hang with so really all we want is to get everybody that is cool to hang with, be you black, white, whatever colour whatever sexuality everybody just, just go along and support the team and that's what the club are saying Well, I'll tell you what, we don't do this often but let's drink to that Cheers, Cheers, Cheers everyone Cheers, lads. Come on, you bees. Guys, gone. Guys, gone. The guys, gone. Regular podcast listeners will probably remember that a couple of weeks ago we started a new section. Games Gone, and we did a feature on Alan Mansley, who Greville Waterman described as his favourite ever Brentford player. Today, we look back not so far into the distant past, and a player that, well, I can only describe as one of the best players that I've ever seen at Brentford. His name, Stan Bowles. You mention his name to anyone of a certain age, they'll go all misty-eyed. Stan was a proper character, they don't really make him like that anymore. Unfortunately, in recent years, Stan's been suffering with Alzheimer's and there's been a lot of fundraising from QPR fans and Brentford fans to try and make a bit of a difference to him. But today, we look back at him at his best and we'll ask Greville Waterman to explain just what it was that made Stan Bowles such a special player. The term genius is thrown around with gay abandon often applied to the very good rather than the rare one-offs and special ones. But nobody could ever quibble or complain at Stan Bowles being so described. He enjoyed a wonderful career that spanned the best part of 20 years, and he played nearly 600 games, testimony to the fact that he was not a luxury player who picked his games, but he loved to play and was a tough competitor. Immaturity, massive competition for places, and some dodgy off-field connections cost Stan the opportunity of early stardom at Manchester City, but he rehabilitated himself in the nether regions of the Football League at Crewe and Carlisle, and whilst other teams dithered, Gordon Jago took the gamble and signed him for QPR for what turned out to be a bargain fee of £110,000. Rodney Marsh had long been the idol of all QPR fans who had bemoaned his transfer, ironically to Man City of all places, but Stan proved to be the perfect replacement became an instant hero at Loftus Road, and the hallowed number 10 shirt soon had a worthy new owner. Stan Set spent seven years at QPR and was in his pomp during that period, but despite his ability and consistency and excellent goal-scoring record, he failed to convince successive England managers of his temperament and played only five times for his country. 
a terrible waste of talent and an indictment of the cautious and puritanical establishment running the game at the time, who could not cope with free spirits like Stan. He joined fellow mavericks like Frank Worthington, Alan Hudson, Charlie George, Peter Osgood and Tony Curry, who were treated with suspicion and never fulfilled their undoubted ability at international level. Stan was not the first footballer to fall out with the mercurial Tommy Doherty, and he was soon sold to Nottingham Forest, out of the frying pan into the fire, where he also fell foul of Brian Clough, ruling himself out of playing in the 1980 European Cup final. His career looked like it was drifting towards its conclusion, when his next move to Lake Lorient left him treading water. But he was revitalised and enjoyed one last hurrah when Fred Callahan. Stan and Martin Lange persuaded him to join Brentford in October 81 for what proved to be a giveaway £25,000 fee. It was an inspirational move for the club as Stan refound his enthusiasm for the game and revitalised players and supporters alike with his sparkling presence and twinkling feet. Despite his advancing years, he provided marvellous value for money and played nearly 100 games for the Bees scoring 17 times and assisting on countless others. He's also gone down in Brentford folklore by forming the final leg in what perhaps came our finest midfield trio since the war. Terry Herlock was passionate, aggressive and took no prisoners. Chris Kamara was a marvellous box-to-box runner who also provided goals and heading ability. And Stan was just Stan. He didn't do a lot of running, confining himself to the left side of midfield but he didn't really need to as the other players did it for him. He simply conserved his energy and sprayed the ball around and cut helpless opposition defences wide open with his rapier-like passes. The fans adored him and the season's best attendance of nearly 7,000 crammed in to see him make his debut at home to Burnley. Three days later, he pulled all the strings as as the bees destroyed Swindon at the county ground and he maintained his consistency for the next 18 months. He also scored regularly, six times in 81-82, and a remarkable 11 goals the following season, when he played over 50 times and laid on goals aplenty for the rampaging forward line of Mahoney, Joseph and Roberts. Although sometimes he was too clever for them and they could not read his intentions. Stan could seemingly do anything on the pitch. He was the complete master of the football, with a left foot like a wand. He scored 11 out of 12 times from the penalty spot, languidly strolling up and sending the goalkeeper and the crowd behind the goal one way before striking the ball effortlessly into the other corner of the net. Bob Booker used to told me that he used to turn his back on Stan when he took a penalty and start trudging back to the halfway line, so certain was he that Stan would do the business and score. Not content with that, Stan also produced his party piece, scoring direct from a corner kick against Swindon, and he was naturally deadly from long-range free kicks, as Wimbledon's Dave Besant could attest. Stan was a star, and you simply could not take your eyes off him. But he also mucked in, trained hard, and was just one of the lads, and was universally popular with everyone at the club. There were no airs and graces, he always played to win, and gave everything he had, rather than merely going through the motions and only playing when the mood took him. That being said, he wouldn't arrive until about 20 minutes before the kickoff. Stan provided full value and lit up Griffin Park with his wonderful ability and ever-present smile, 
and the fact that he'd been a hero at our massive rivals QPR was soon forgiven and forgotten as he so obviously gave everything to the cause throughout his spell at Brentford. He's got his problems nowadays, but he is fondly remembered by everyone associated with the club, and we all salute him and send him and his family our best wishes. So we're going to move on now to the, the least welcoming away day you've ever encountered. This comes on the back of a, a report today from Chorley in Lancashire, where basically they banned all away fans. Not only away fans, but football fans. Chorley seems to be a stop-off for, for fans on the way to Bolton, Blackburn, Preston, Burnley and Wigan. And, you know... The, the, I'm sure the, pub, the, the publicans have been delighted that there's a couple of coach loads of football fans that are going to rock up, have a, have a couple of pints, have, have a bit of, uh, bit of nosh. It, it, it seems really anti-football that you would have a mindset where you would try, as a town, to ban all football fans. Robin... Have you ever been to somewhere that you've, you know, as a, as a fan, where you've been made to feel very, very unwelcome? I can safely say no. Um, there have been away trips that I've done, no matter who it's been and no matter where it's been, where I've felt maybe a little bit sort of, un, not, not unwelcome, but I've, I've known that I'm in, you know, vulnerable. yeah, vulnerable, in quote, quotation marks, enemy territory. The obvious one is Millwall. Let's get that one out of the way. But... To be honest, I've been to Millwall twice away. I've never had any trouble. It's been absolutely fine. Um, do, you, do you feel that at Fulham and QPR as well? I feel... Well, the thing is, with, with Fulham and QPR, I'm, pre, I'm predispositioned to know that I'm going into enemy territory. It's that sort of, you know, the, the local rivalry. But again, I've never felt uncomfortable going to an away game against QPR or... Um, or Fulham, so I, I have to agree. I mean, to be honest, like in you know in the times I've been a football fan, uh, it's evolved that pretty much you can go anywhere in the country now, and you, and and you just you're just like a you know you're just like a you know an equal. Yeah. You know, obviously you're you know, you're out of town, but you don't often go anywhere anymore where you feel like you're vulnerable or you're you're kind of you're exposed to any kind of danger as such. I, I remember the. Uh... Birmingham away cup game um, and leaving uh, the, the stadium and walking back towards the train station there were lads either side of the road lobbing stones at, at us walking back which you feel a little, you feel a little bit kind of out of your comfort area um, the only other one that I didn't feel very welcome at which isn't really to do with being made to feel unwelcome by people is just I'm really not a fan of Reading away I don't think anyone's a fan of Reading away it's just not a very um, conducive to f- having a good atmosphere at football and you know being bussed out of town all of, all of the stadiums like that uh, and Charlton uh, you, you kind of get off the train at Charlton and just trot through to the valley um, and you, you're kind of on edge a little bit um, but you know you mentioned QPR and Fulham it is sort of our neck of the woods you know, it's just around the corner, so you kind of know you're, you're around home anyway. So, um, not really. I don't think it's that much of a part of, of the, the, the sport anymore, especially in the championship. I thought Stoke on, on Saturday was a little bit odd. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't feel um, like I was uh, vulnerable in any, in any way, shape, or form. I just felt that they were so Premier League up that 
away fans just weren't really welcome in the pubs. And then you, as you came out of Stoke Station, the police were trying to funnel you towards the Harvester and one other pub, which you, you know, I wouldn't touch with a barge pole, if I'm honest with you. And then after the game, um, they, they, they tried to get you on the coaches back straight back to the station. So it, it seemed like away fans were technically welcome within the 365, but... They didn't want to see you. They, did, they, did, they don't want to see you in the pubs. They'll, you can sing your songs in the ground. They'll take you straight back to the station afterwards and then you can bugger off back to London. Gaz, is there, is there, any, is there any, place, any, any examples that you can think of where, you know, as a, as a football fan, you've just not been made to feel welcome? No, I mean, I, I mean again, at Stoke on Saturday, I ended up in a Stoke pub um, with a friend of a friend who group of Stoke fans so I think people really obviously realised that I wasn't from Stoke but once they saw us with Stoke fans there were no issues but the only time I really felt um, unwelcome was when I went was um, the game we played when we played Luton that day that they got promoted I ended up um, unfortunately ended up in the wrong pub um, which just happened to have a group of uh, Meeks sitting in there um, as I kind of walked in a diet instantly realized what happened and um just acted like i was supposed to be there and so we just kept our heads down kept sturm and drunk our pint and left as quickly as possible and there were no issues this is this is probably feeds back into the last segue to be honest with you it's like how football's changed there's there's probably one or two examples now around the country dotted they're, they're very very small number of clubs now you can go to where you just kind of you feel like it's back in the day I I would say 80-90% of clubs that you go to now you're as safe as an away fan as you are as a home fan there there isn't an edge I mean places I've went to you know a couple of years ago like Burnley where you think this is a small town you know this is very kind of insular but it's one of the one of the most friendliest trips I can remember to be honest I I think it's quite interesting that that, uh, the role that social media has to play in this that there's all the Instagram accounts of like away days and here are the uh, South End boys away at somewhere and so where. And, you know, groups of lads stand outside a pub with a flag. It looks like, you know, the, like the old days that they're going to go around and go for a tear-up. I think that's quite isolated now in terms of lads just going to go around bashing people up. That's being pushed out of football with cameras and police and, and things that have gone on with that. So, uh, I, I, as I said, I think it's interesting how social media plays a part in it. And absolutely, you know, we, we, we've been accused in the past of chumming up with, uh, with away fans. It's something we're very, very proud of at Besotted. We will, we will engage, we will talk with like-minded, intelligent people from any, any club, people that love football, people that love their football clubs. And that's, this is what turns us on. It's, it's, it's mixing with people that love football just as much as, as, as we love football doesn't matter whether you come from Darlington or Derby or Chelsea or Cheltenham. You're, if, you're, if you love your club, we love our football club and that's all that matters. Honestly, you don't know what we've just been talking about. We've been, ta- we've been talking about giant sharks. We've been talking about light, light travel. We've been talking about Mars. We've been talking about all kinds of... Utter, uh, and... No, we haven't talked about John Terry's mum. Why would we ever do that? We've been talking about all sorts of stuff off mic, but we need to focus. We need to focus on Sunday. 
Sheffield Wednesday, they've played tonight. I don't know why they, they couldn't have played last night. There was no other games I could see that, that would have comp- competed. No, there was nothing else on Sky last night. They could have, Sheffield Wednesday could have played their, their Caribou Cup game last night. But we're playing on a Sunday instead of a Saturday. Luckily, it's a three o'clock kickoff, so we haven't got to do any 11 o'clock nonsense or midday nonsense. So it's pretty much something to look forward to on a Sunday. You can enjoy a Saturday off. James is going to talk to us in a minute. He's going to do five from the hive. Um, But really, we need to continue this really impressive start to the season. This isn't about capitulation. We, we, we are, we're playing Sheffield Wednesday at a really good time. This is about underpinning the start of the season where we should have, we should have done last year. The performances this year haven't been very dissimilar to the ones that were last year, but we're now getting points on the board. Five from the hive. Sheffield Wednesday. We're going to hear from James Marriott from the Wednesday Week podcast. So, embargo, what's the score with Chad Siri? Is he there for the duration? Well, hey, guys. Um, yeah, so, embargo. Well, um, well, this is fun. Yeah, we've been in a transfer embargo since, well, April, as it turns out, although um, none of us really knew at the, the time. It's become pretty clear over the summer. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, it's a bit of a mess actually at the moment. It, it, it's, it's, it's not been great. So the summer started with us selling a couple of players, well selling a player and, and letting Jordan Rhodes go out on loan and the indications there were that we were acting pretty quick to sort out things financially. But then it's all gone very quiet and, and, and there's been no more outgoing since. Um, we, in terms of Chancery himself, he had he held a fans forum last Monday, um, which, as you can imagine, was you know a little heated. But all the suggestions were that you know he's in it for the for the long haul, and um, you know he's he, he's going to see this through in one one way or another. Um, I think he genuinely believes that we'll get promoted this season. I'm not sure as fans whether or not we necessarily um, uh, agree with that, but um, you know he still seems to be really positive about the the situation at Sheffield Wednesday. Very positive about I hate using the word, but the project that um, we're going through at the moment. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Wednesday went gung ho for promotion. It seems to have got you in a financial pickle. Do you think this was the right approach in retrospect? I mean, this this is a subject that um, gets talked about a lot within the Wednesday fan base, and I'm I'm probably a little a little gentler on um, Chancery than maybe a lot of people are because you know we we picked a tactic to go for promotion and it didn't work. And you know what? Against Hull, we were what twenty minutes away from taking the game to extra time, maybe to penalties. Um, uh, the season after, we were a penalty shootout away from beating Huddersfield in the semis, and and I genuinely believe that we'd have beaten Reading in the final if we'd have, have won that game. So, um, you know, we came really close. We came really close, and as it turned out, it, it didn't happen for us. But thing is, you know, there are however many teams in this league that that year in year out are going for promotion. Only three of them are ever going to make it, and um, you know there is always going to be more teams that have a go and don't make it than than do make it. Um, in hindsight, the tactic that we took of bringing in players 
who'd been there and done it in terms of promotion to the Premier League, that probably was a mistake because now we have players that no one really wants to buy who are at the back end of their career that we did invest quite a bit of money in because they were designed to be the players that would have the knowledge and the expertise to kind of take us there to the Premier League. Um, and obviously that hasn't happened. So in retrospect, it's really easy as a fan to sit here and say, yeah, we've probably got it wrong in terms of um, the way we went about it. But I have to say that, you know, we're just a team that picked a tactic and that tactic didn't work. To be fair, you've got some decent players in your side who've cost you a fair penny. Surely they must be good enough to give Brentford a good game. Yeah, I mean, on paper, we, are, yeah, we do have a, we have a decent squad. Um, I, I think maybe the difference at the moment with where we're at is that we have a decent squad. We don't necessarily have a team, and I think at the moment, you know, we've seen the first two games of this season quite quite different in terms of where certain players have been deployed. Um, you know, we've got a player like Sam Hutchinson. The first game of the season was played as an attacking midfielder. The second game of the season, he was a centre half, um, which actually is where he's he's best suited. I, I, I'm not quite sure the logic in playing him as an attacking midfielder at all, to be honest. But um, you know, at, at the moment, it feels like we're still sort of finding ourselves. It actually feels like we're still in pre-season right now. Um, we're, we're kind of playing about with where players are best suited, who's best suited to which position. Uh, it doesn't feel like we particularly know what our best team is or anything like that right now. So you're right on paper in terms of the fact that we sh- we you know we, we we should be good enough to to, to give you guys a, a game. Um, we we should have been good enough to probably get three points against Wigan and probably get three points against Hull. And and I mean that with the utmost respect to both those teams. But you know on paper you would you would say that certainly Wigan we 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 should be able to be bringing three points back from, from their place. So um, at the moment, we, we've still got work to do, and that's a bit of a worry. And this this isn't the kind of game that we'd want to pick as being third league game of the season, really, um, because I think you, know, you, you guys have made a good start to the season and it's going to be a, a tricky one for us. So, um, you know, we, I, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, you, I think there's enough quality in this team that when it's right, they probably can beat pretty much any other team in the championship. I'm a bit confused. Are you a matchday-named club? If so, shouldn't you be called Sheffield Saturday most weeks? Revert to Sheffield Wednesday for most midweek games this season and for the Brentford match, Sheffield Sunday? Yeah, you know what? A lot of people think it's quite uh, amusing to say, oh, you call Sheffield Wednesday because you only play on Wednesdays. Uh, in actual fact, that is the origins of the of the name. So you know this 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 whole thing, this whole club started actually as a cricket club, and um, they kind of branched out into playing football. So they they started playing football on a Wednesday evening, and were originally known as the Wednesday. Uh, because that was the day of the week that they played, and, and that over time became Sheffield Wednesday. And um, interestingly, you know, the the cricket side of it obviously died away. However, in recent years, the Wednesday Cricket Club have probably been more successful than the uh, than the actual football club. But that that is the the origin to it was 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 literally that. Interesting. I think we only played about maybe five or six of our home games last season were actually three o'clock Saturday kickoffs. So yeah, maybe you know, Wednesday was probably a game that we ended up playing more than, than Saturday last season. 
um you know i think that we have there's a real heritage in 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 that in that name um so maybe actually other clubs could you know maybe you know bolton tuesday that could become a thing i don't know could you could you like brentford sunday maybe yeah Uh, maybe not my best idea that one forget that if you're lucky you might squeeze one last visit after this one to griffin park before we move 15 minutes walk down the road to kew bridge how do you see this game panning out and give us a score prediction I had it in my head, you know, that, that this was going to be definitely the last time that we were playing at Griffin Park. I had it in my head that you that you guys were actually moving to the new stadium halfway through the season. So when the fixture list came out, I kind of checked to see whether or not we'd got you in the first half of the season or second half. So um, the fact that we might just get one more visit to Griffin Park is great news for me. I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's a great away day. Um, you know, such a friendly, lovely place. And, and I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily going to change when you move stadiums, but a bit of that magic will 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 go. Um, in terms of the game it, itself, I really really don't know. And I think you know I, I, I saw the the goal that you scored against Stoke and thought, you know, if if you if you're playing stuff like that against us and and our defensive fragilities that we've seen so far already this season, um, you know, you, you could absolutely tear us apart. But like we touched on earlier, you know, we've got enough talent in this squad to be able to beat anyone. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to say that, in, in all honesty, I'm going into this game probably expecting to lose. I think that you'll win. Uh, and I think anything above that is going to be a bonus. That's not to say that I don't think that we've got a chance. Um, I think I think that we have, but I, I, I'm going to go on that. You know, let's, let's, let's plan for the worst-case scenario, and anything above that is uh, a bonus. So I'm 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 going to on that I'm going to go right you know proper middle of the road here in terms of score prediction, and I'm going to go with one all. Robin, what are you expecting from Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday? But more importantly, what are you expecting from Brentford? Um, I'm expecting a similar sort of test to Stoke. To be quite honest, um, a team that um, from what I know of them, and maybe. Um, um, maybe I'm wrong with this, but from what I know of them, from what I've seen over the past couple of years, very, very much based off of um, strength and power, pace, hitting, team, hitting teams on the counter attack, which is what I've seen them do to us over the past couple of years. I know they've got um, a lad up front called uh, Nuhiyu. Um, I'm probably butchering that and pronouncing it incorrectly, but um, they base very much off of bullying the defence and bringing the ball forward as quickly as possible. Um, not too dissimilar to what Stoke tried to do to us last weekend. I'm expecting a, I'm expecting a tough ride. I don't think we're going to win by a massive amount, but I do think we're going to win. I think we've got a very very good chance of taking three points on Saturday on Sunday. James Marriott he, he talked quite eloqu- eloquently on um, Billy's Fire from the Hive about um, you know the, the Chancellor how the wheels seem to have come off at Sheffield Wednesday. It was almost inevitable that they were going to get promotion at one stage. Um, now they seem they've got a transfer embargo. Things aren't looking very pretty at, at Hillsborough. Gaz, is it a good time to be playing Sheffield Wednesday? Definitely. Um, they just look flat. They, they Again, because they've got a transfer embargo, they've pretty much got the same team and we almost know what to expect. They'll, you know, as you said, Nahiu, the guy who looks like Jules from the James Bond films, is going to be bullying us and trying to bite us and things like that. Um, I think, but, you know, I, I do think that we will win the game. Um, I think it'll be 
fairly comfortable, although I suspect there will be some defensive resistance from Wednesday. Ed, I'm not going to be doom-monger here, but when things seem to be going right, as always, someone slips a banana skin. So, like, you know, we have a really positive start to a season or we're on, a, on a, like a long winning run or something, and all of a sudden someone really does piss on our bonfire. Is it going to be Sheffield Wednesday? Uh, no, uh, you kind of touched on it before I, I got to it. Um, I, I think while our balloon is kind of keep blowing up at the moment before it pops, what I want from Sunday is us to keep the foot on the neck. I want us to keep the pressure on everybody. Um, like, let's keep, let's keep blowing this balloon up and, and doing it. Maybe there's a slip-up somewhere. I don't actually see it coming from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and I, I think while, while we're in this momentum... And classic Brentford, there's always something that fucking throws a pin into it. Sorry for swearing. Uh, there's always something that, that sticks a pin into it. There's always a Brentford did a Brentford, as I like to call it. But um, not, I don't see it coming on Sunday. No, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on that one as well. I, I, I think that Sheffield Wednesday is a really good fixture for, for us this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit bit hacked off. It's not Saturday, you know. You know, but you know, obviously I've made, made other plans, but. It's, it's, it's the right game for Brentford, I think. Um, we, we do need a better challenge than we've had the, the, the last... Well, the last home game was Rotherham. Um, that was well within our comfort zone. Um, Stoke was a, was a dodgy one, a, tr- a very tricky one. We, we navigated that well. South End was a, you know, an easy one. We, 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 we survived it. You know, we, we should have done it a little bit better. I think against Sheffield Wednesday, we need to go back to basics again and we need to kind of underpin our credentials. Uh, I think it's well within our zone to, to, to beat them. Not, not comfortably, but we, 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 we probably will. We, we should be beating Sheffield Wednesday. Teams like Sheffield Wednesday. Who would have thought it? To be honest with you, come on. Let, let's, go round this, mm. let's go round the table one more time. We do our predictions, but... Come on, we're actually we're actually expecting to beat Sheffield Wednesday. Two years ago, we we were thought we thought we were going to lose Alan Judge to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Now they're coming to Griffin Park, and we're 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 expecting to beat them. My my prediction for what it's worth: three one Brentford. Uh, my prediction for what it's worth: uh, two nil. Um, but just on on touch on that note, I'm going to say it now. I, in as the league stands at the moment, I. Don't fear anybody as a Brentford fan. Last season, I thought Wolves were better than us. and It pains me to say it, but I think Cardiff were better than us. Um, I, didn't, I don't fear anyone this season. Gaz, you, you're, you're not one for being scared easily. Wednesday, Wednesday on Sunday, what are you expecting, my friend? Well, I'm expecting us to win by two goals, maybe 2-0, 3-1. I'd expect it to be a two goals. Again, I do do expect there to be a bit of defensive resistance, but I don't think they're going to attack us enough. And if we get an early goal, then we will settle down and win comfortably. Robin, then not the kind of team that comes and defends and parks a bus and stuff. We seem to be more than well equipped to beat anyone that tries to play football against us. So, you know, is it is this a walk in the park? It's by no, no game's a walk in the park. You, you, you can, it's the classic, it's classic expression, you can only beat what's in front of you. Um, I think what we're gonna, what's going to be in front of us on Sunday is an awkward team, a difficult team. 
but I think we're going to win. I don't think we're going to win by much, but I think I, I'm going to say I'm going to say two one Brentford. So, you, so I think basically, with a margin of error built into this, we're saying that the unbeaten run will probably continue this weekend, at the very least, and. That uh, well, I've got a pub quiz going on in the background. I've been competing with a pub quiz, but we are going to say now, after three. Now I want to hear a rumble, please. We're back on Sunday with a post-match podcast. We're back on Monday, although probably Tuesday actually. I think with the um, Love Sport Radio Show, but. All that's left to be said is... Come, Come on, you bees! Come on, you bees! Come Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.